working our way through 1 Corinthians, kind of getting towards the end. It'd be fun if on my anniversary it was on 1 Corinthians 13. You know, if you've been to a wedding, you know that's the love chapter. It would be real sweet if I could come up here like, you know, love is patient like my marriage. Love is kind like my wife. It didn't work out that way. We're in 1 Corinthians 10, which is less mushy and romantic. So this isn't the love chapter. This is the beginning of the chapter, a pretty stern warning. So I want us to hear that. I want us to heed God's word, but it is a tougher passion. This is a caution. This is a warning passage, and I want to heed that from the Lord this morning. We are in 1 Corinthians 10. So if you want to follow along in your own Bibles, but as always, I'll have it on the screen. We're going to read through to verse 13. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10, picking it up in verse 13. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, And all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Kind of heavy passage, but it ends with what has always been one of my very favorite promises of Scripture in that last verse in 13. But he really goes after it. And following the flow, it's kind of not that difficult, right? He's like, you guys need to understand this. There's a lesson he wants to teach them. There's something he wants to warn them of, and how does he do it? He reminds them of God's people in the Old Testament. You know, God's people before Jesus came and looks at them. You saw that word example twice. Look at their example and learn the lesson. Hopefully not the hard way that they learned it. So that's what he does, and that's what we're going to walk through and hope we catch Paul's warning this morning. What can we learn from God's people? And it kind of takes place in the wilderness. So let's just kind of walk through those verses. First, and this kind of is the word that kind of haunted me in the beginning. If you look in the beginning, for I do not want you to be unaware. See, this is an extremely important lesson that we can be unaware of. And 
That should kind of cause you to perk up a little bit. He's saying, this is crucial. Look how crucial this was for them, but you can miss it. There's something you have to realize, but you might not realize it. You may, just in your ignorance, not understand it. But this is something. This isn't like willful disobedience. This is something that you can fall into and be unaware. Make this crucial mistake and not even realize you're making it. So we should pay close attention to this example. So what does he want us to learn from God's people in the Old Testament? Well, you got to first remind ourselves kind of who they were, right? And kind of what was going on. So if you don't know anything about kind of Old Testament history of God's people, let me catch you up a little bit. There is, I mean, this is right when Moses comes on the scene. Next to Jesus, like if you take Jesus out of the picture, there is no bigger dog in the pack than Moses. And this is about when Moses is on the scene, right? God's people, his promised people via Joseph end up in Egypt. So God's chosen people end up a nation of slaves in Egypt. Again, even if you don't know the Bible at all, maybe you've seen the movie, but this is kind of the ten plagues, and then this is just after the ten plagues. That's what he's kind of referencing God's people in the wilderness. They send that final plague, and God's people just ripping the gold out of Egypt skip town. If you remember the story, what happens next So this nation of slaves makes this powerful Egypt look foolish, and they leave, and Pharaoh can't handle it. He's like, no way they is punking me like that. Hunt them down and smoke those fools. I feel like Pharaoh was a little gangster in my mind. I don't know why, but that's how he comes across, right? Like, no way. Like, this prideful Pharaoh that this nation of slaves is going to make a fool of him. So they go to hunt him down, right? And this is kind of where the story picks up. God's people leave Egypt, and now they're trapped by the Red Sea, and one of the most powerful armies is barreling down on them. But then you reference kind of what happens. You kind of see all the things that he references in this passage he wants you to think of. All were under the cloud. So God's people in the wilderness, you know, I mean, they just leave. How do they find their way? God sends a pillar of a cloud. This was like pre-GPS, pre-TomTom. This is even pre-MapQuest. Like, this is old, right? There's a cloud. A pillar of fire at night. Like, where do we go? Let's follow the pillar of cloud. Oh. Then they hit the sea. They're trapped. And then, I mean, even if you don't know anything, you probably heard some reference Right, the most, outside of Christ, most famous miracle, they're trapped, barreling down. And God parts the seas. Now, it's so hard to wrap our heads around it, but just try to picture that, right? Like, you're about to die, and the seas part, and you walk through on dry ground, like, man, hurry up, it's about to go. I always think of Jim Gaffigan, his bit, Right? Like, did Moses say something after he parted the sea? Like, how you like them apples? (laughs) You know, God lets the seas down, and the Egyptian army is killed. And then they're out in the wilderness. They go to Moses. Moses, man, nothing but respect for that sea thing. Great job. We don't have any food. Right? The fame, these famous miracles, they ate the same spiritual food. It doesn't mean spiritual is not real, as in it was miraculously provided to them by God. 
Maybe you've heard that phrase, manna from heaven. This is what he's referencing. Right when they get out of Egypt, they have no food. God sends bread, manna from heaven. They don't have anything to drink. Moses, bam, hits a rock. And they have miraculously provided water. He said, let's learn from those folks. But I want you to be unaware, you, you might not catch the lesson. If you're anything like me, like this faith thing could be hard, right? Believing in this God that we can't see, it, it can be tough, right? Maybe you've had this thought like me, if I could just see one miracle. Like, man, if I could just see Jesus one time, that would fix everything. You ever have that thought? Man, what it would have been like to walk with Jesus. That would just fix all my faith issues. If you're like me, you're already in some of the ignorance he is warning us against. These people, you ever say that, God, I just want to know where you're going. Just write it in the clouds. I would do it. That has to come from this. He literally wrote it in the clouds. These would be the most, these these have got to be the most faithful, God-honoring people on earth, right? What's the warning? Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Be careful. He says, learn from them. Like, what is the great mistake that they made? What lesson can we learn? These people that seen God do so much, miraculous blessing and provision of God, yet, with most of them, God was not pleased. What's the warning? What did he tell them? Take heed, those that think they stand, lest you fall. He's warning them. You know how easy it is to be prideful and confident that you and God are okay when all along, that's not the truth. You and God are not all right with your life. God is not pleased. That is a pretty scary warning. What do we learn from God's people in the wilderness that you can get really near to God to be around his blessings, to be around his people, to look a lot like a follower of his and not be the real deal. Now, all of them, we can fool other people. And here's the problem. We can even fool ourselves. Most people I talk to, oh, me and God are good. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm a believer. I was raised in church. They think me and God are fine. That was their problem. They had confidence that them and God were fine, but their confidence was in the wrong thing. They were confident in a false hope, and what happens? They end up judged by God. How many people, how many stories and testimonies I've heard of this? Of people confident, sure, I'm sure me and God are fine, I'm a believer, but ultimately they are not in a right relationship with God. That is the lesson here. What did these people have? What was the false hope that the people in the wilderness trusted in so much? I'll use in some of our vernacular of today. They had a whole lot of religion, 
but they weren't in a genuine relationship with God. Do you know how many people put confidence that they have some religion in their life, they've gone through a couple religious rituals, and they assume them and God are fine. And Paul is warning us that is a false hope. And you may be unaware that you and God are not as good as you think you are. Interesting what he does. So remember, he walks them through the Red Sea. What does Paul equate that to? Starts with B, ends in appetized. Baptism. I never would have done that. I never would have, I've never would have watched them walk through the Red Sea like, oh, that's like baptism for us. That's what Paul does. Paul says those people experienced baptism. These people believed in God. These people were blessed by God. They had all kinds of spiritual experiences. And ultimately, with most of them, not some of them, most of them, God is not pleased. Are you confident that you and God are in a right relationship? Be careful that your confidence isn't in religion, isn't in a false hope that ultimately doesn't reconcile you to God. So which one? Do you have confidence in the cross of Christ, in the gospel, in being in relationship with him or in religion? Here's our values. This is on our website to kind of give you an idea of the difference we're talking about. We enjoy relationship with God, not religion. Instead of the counterfeit Christianity of rules, rituals, and religion, we are in a dynamic, personal, joyful, and growing relationship with God. This is not just a Sunday morning thing. Through his spirit, we're walking with him in faith and dependence throughout the week. Which one is you? And here's the scary part. They can look a lot alike. You can fool other people. You can even fool yourselves. But are you in the real deal? I'm telling you, do you know how many testimonies I've heard of people baptized, raised in church, they believe in God, and they are not reconciled to God in a right relationship because they had confidence in a false hope. Gotta hear his warning. I'm excited for this fall. Kind of my youngest, all, you know, both my kids are going to be in school. So I'm very excited for a couple of reasons. They're going to be gone most of the day. You'll say it's nice. But also, something I'm really excited about is that means we're done with uh, shots, right? You got to get all your shots for school. Uh, my youngest little fella don't like him some shots. So getting our last shots, I mean, it was some like UFC holds to pin him down to get them shots. Some glad shots are done, right? You got to get your vaccines to get to school. You know what a vaccine is? I think this is a perfect illustration because I think some people get a religious vaccine. What is a vaccine? You take something, you engineer something to look so much like the real thing. You inject it in your body, so you trick your body to thinking that's the real thing. Why? After you've had that, and when you come across that real disease, that real thing, your body rejects it. I think so many people have got a religious vaccine. 
Man, it looks a lot like the real thing. It looks a lot like, oh, I'm doing what God wants me to do. And, but ultimately, what does it do? It's counterfeit. If you've lived with nothing but rules, rituals, and putting your hope in that, and then what happens? You hear the gospel. You hear a genuine invitation to a dynamic, personal, joyful, growing relationship with God. You, you, you reject it. I'm good. No, that's okay. See, I was raised Catholic, and I seen this all the time. An invitation to walk with God and a rejection. No, no, I, I, was, baptized, I was baptized as an infant. I, I believe in God. Don't worry. We're good. I believe in God. You know, I'm not perfect, but, you know, I, I go to church. Don't worry. What did he say? The spiritual food, the spiritual drink, that's an allusion to communion. So what are you hoping in? You, were you just raised with some religion, some church in your life, and you're unaware that you and God aren't good? You're not really in relationship with him. That's the danger. And that counterfeit, what is a counterfeit? It looks really similar. So that's the thing you've got to be careful. Is, man, they can look close. So I want to spend kind of the next bit of time helping you because i'm not trying to like send everybody into panic like i don't know if i'm saved are you saved i don't look saved are you saved that's not the point right but if you have confidence in a false hope i want you to hear this warning so how do you know how do you genuinely know some of the difference have i just been dabbling in religion or do i have a genuine dynamic relationship with god here's a couple of things i think we learn from God's people in the Old Testament. Ultimately, I want you to really ask yourself, what is my hope? Right? I mean, I ask people this all the time, and I think this is a helpful thing, and I really want you to think about your answer. Right? When you stand before God, you know, my daughter, it's the end of the school year. She's taking her big tests. None of those matter in light of this test that we don't want to mess up on. When you stand before God, Say, you know, just put it right at the gates of heaven. And he says, why should I let you in? What is your answer? What is your hope? And I really, I want to take a second, because it's the most important question you'll ever have, ever have to wrestle with. What is your hope in your relationship with God? What do you say in that moment? Why should I let you in when God asks you that? I ask it because that's trying to kind of poke at what is your hope you know what most people say just like most people in the wilderness god was displeased i believe in god i believe in church i go to church i've been baptized all of those are religion you know what god's people in the old testament they were baptized they believed in god i believe in the lord jesus christ okay that's fine but you got to go past belief. You have to. And here's the thing I want to not push too far, right? Is baptism and communion good things? Yes. We're going to have a baptism service coming up soon. And I'm going to cry because I cried all. I'm like, oh, dear Lord, it changed our lives. 
Baptism's good. It can help you. Reading the word is good. It helps you. Going to church, communion is good. It is a great help, but it's not hope. If you think you and God are good because you do enough religious stuff, you're in trouble. You're at risk of being like these people where you have confidence in a false hope. A relationship with God, your only hope is on the grace of Jesus Christ, what he has done for you on the cross. That is your only hope. We don't deserve it unless God bestows on us grace. The big one, what is your hope? But there's the second question I really want you to wrestle with. And this is, again, where we can fool others and even fool ourselves. Ultimately, what are you living for? What are you living for? The warning of this passage, he said, don't be idolaters like God's people in the wilderness. And we got to unpack that a little bit because none of us feel like we're, you know, guilty of idolatry. I think we're in grave danger of it. He said, don't be idolaters like them. So he's talking about God's people in the wilderness. There was one verse that he quoted. Did you catch it? As we were reading it, there was one quote. That's because there's one portion. He was quoting the Old Testament, and he's warning. So you think of God's people in the wilderness, and you're going to say, hey, one thing don't do. Which verse are you picking? If you know anything about the story, you're going with the golden calf. Right? They get out. God guides them. And then they instantly almost build a golden calf and worship that calf. I think almost every one of us is like, hey, don't do this. That's not the verse he quoted. Do you remember what he quoted? He warned them of those that sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. That was their grave error. Now remember the context of Corinth. These are the people that wanted to eat meat offered to idols that knew the idols weren't real. But they wanted to live how they wanted to live. See, when God kind of wiped out, did you see that? We just kind of glossed over it. God wiped out 23,000 of his people in one day. The name of that place, we get it in Numbers 11, I thought it was really interesting gives kind of the Hebrew name, and then it tells you what it means. That was the grave of cravings. What was the issue? Their cravings. What does the New Testament say? Their God is their stomach. So when I say, oh, be careful that we're into idolatry, don't think wooden idol. Think, what do I idolize? So when you hear a warning of idolatry, don't think, oh, do I worship Zeus? Think, What am I living for? What is the most important thing in my life? And what was it to God's people in this time? They wanted to eat, drink, and rise up to play. They wanted to live the good life. It wasn't just the worshiping and creating a calf. It was ultimately God knew they weren't living for him. They were living for themselves. Again, be careful. We can fool A lot of people. But as we're sitting here today, I don't care if you've had some religion and some rituals in your life. Can you say, ultimately, I'm living for him? Religion is, I do some things to 
have God bless me. If I asked you this way, this coming week, I'm going to give you an option. Which one you taking? I can give you a week of perfect blessing or perfect obedience. Which one do you want? Coming out here, everything you want. Every green light, every front spot, the girl finally says yes, a baby, a marriage, everything you've been praying for, just healing. If I can promise everything you want, you can have a week of perfect blessing, but it's still about you, or perfect obedience. You can lie to a lot of people, but ultimately, what would be our answer to that? Do I say I believe in God or am I really living for him? Now, you and God aren't, you got to be careful, right? I'm not saved by the amount I live for him. I'm saved by grace in Jesus. And one of the best ways to know is am I actually living for him? You'll do it imperfectly. None of us will do it perfectly. But can you sit here today and say, Jesus is my hope. And I'm not just asking him to bless me. I want to live for him. It says over and over how they grumbled. That's a good tell to find out what you're living for. When you don't get your way, when God doesn't give you what you want, are you constantly grumbling? Because you think the point of your religion is God to bless you, God to serve you, or is it for you to serve him? And that's kind of a good tell. It was revealed God's people were really living for themselves. They wanted to live the good life and wanted God to bless them. And it doesn't just tell us their faults. It reminds us of their fate. It was a picture. They were judged. Look at this verse. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs judgment. So I want you to hear that warning. Look, if you and God are good, if your hope is in the gospel and in Jesus, mercy triumphs judgment. One of my favorite verses, it's beautiful. But if you're just dabbling with religion and you abuse the grace and mercy of God, what does it say? For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. We don't like to talk about that. You know, oh, that's too fire and brimstone. But did you hear what it said? Do not put Christ to the test. You want to dabble in religion, ultimately live for yourself and hope God blesses you along the way. God says, don't test me. I mean, as a parent, right? What does that mean when you say, don't test me? Like, it's different than when you tell your kids to knock it off, Right? When I tell my kids, just knock it off. They're annoying me. They could probably test me and be okay. But at some point as a parent, I'm like, (laughs) go ahead and do it one more time, right? I'm asking you, please do it. Don't test me. Every parent, every kid knows what that means. You test me and and judgment's coming. We say we love God. Oh, I believe I go to church. Am I really living for him? How many people kind of just want to dance with living for ourselves, asking God to bless us and want to toe that line? What in the world are we going to test God like that for? 
So I think there's just two clear applications. One, if you've just been dabbling in religion and feeling like, no, me and God are good. I believe in him. I've been baptized. I want you to hear this warning and caution. I want you to repent. There's no ultimate hope in religion. I want you to repent and come to him and start the real deal. And if that is you, if that is us, what are we doing dabbling around with trying to eat, drink, live for ourselves when God invites us to serve him? And that's where in that warning, I mean, I know it's discouraging. I want to serve him. But it's hard, right? So I don't want you to be so just wigged out. I still struggle with grumbling. I still struggle with sin. Does that mean I'm not saved? We're not saved by behaving right. But if we've really experienced his grace, which you're saved by, we don't just say we love him. We live for him. He said, don't be evil and wicked like them. And there are things in your life where you're just dabbling, just testing God. You know you need to get right. Start living it out. This is where this is one of my favorite promises in all of Scripture. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. That's one of the lies we believe to fall into temptation. Oh, but man, my heart, my, my kids are so hard. My marriage is so hard. My life is so hard. And we turn into victims. He said, don't do that. Look, every temptation we face is not unique. It's temptation that has been faced before. Let's not just fall into self-pity. And here's the beautiful promise. God is faithful. You're not saved by grace and then you live it out by your own strength. Start living for him. And I promise you, he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. For me, this was my no excuses verse. I never can give in to sin and feel like I just had to. It was too much. If you believe that it's just too much, it's too hard, you're believing a lie. This is a promise of God. Sometimes we cling to our desires that aren't promised to us. That's dangerous. This is a promise. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. It is never too much where you can just give in. Part of the reason this is my favorite verse and promise is this is when God's word came alive to me. I remember just facing great temptation and saying, God, this is too much. I can't do this. But I'm going to believe your word. And in those times, it was almost like the parting of the Red Sea. God provided ways of escape so that I can be faithful to him. Do you say you love him, but you're not really living for him? You've just been dabbling in religion. Repent. God invites you into a dynamic, joyful relationship based off of his grace. And when we do that and really do that, let's live for him. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, I pray that your spirit would convict for those that have been confident in a false hope, thinking that you and them are okay because they've got some religion, 
in their life, Father, would you convict them? And know with how many people with that self-confidence in religion that you are ultimately not pleased, that you invite them to repent of religion, to dive into a dynamic relationship with you. God, when we do that, would we not just say we love you? Would we live for you every day in Jesus' name? Amen.